Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, April 16th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Another mass shooting in America, this time the violence erupting at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis. Eight victims now dead, the gunman taking his own life. In Chicago, anger and uproar after disturbing video emerges of an officer shooting a 13-year-old. Police initially saying that teenager was carrying a gun, but body cam footage showing his hands were empty just before he was killed. And with more than 565,000 people here in the U.S. now dead from COVID-19, the White House stressing that its vaccination rollout will continue forward with or without the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. It's happened again. Another mass shooting in America, this one unfolding in Indiana overnight at a FedEx facility during the late night shift. Less than 12 hours later, the FBI saying it would be premature to speculate on the motive of the suspect who hasn't been identified yet. Grecia Lastra has the latest. Caller heard 10 shots from near the front of the entrance. Overnight, multiple people shot at this FedEx facility in Indianapolis. There's a sex description, shooter, short, white male wearing a hat, has a machine gun currently in front of the building. Officers arriving at the building just after 11 p.m. when they say the gunman was still firing. As officers arrived, they came, they be, they came in contact with an active shooter incident. Police confirming eight were shot and killed, adding the suspected shooter took their own life. Uh, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little overwhelmed. I've worked here for 10 years, I, and I have never seen that happen in my life. <laughs> a worker at the building describes hearing gunshots during his break. Then we heard three more shots, and then my buddy Levi saw someone running out of the building, and then more shots went off. Somebody went behind their car to the trunk and got another and got another gun and then I saw one body on the floor. According to the Indianapolis Star, more than 4,000 people work at that facility. Distraught family members gathering near the scene, waiting for the news about their loved ones. I hope God that he's not injured and I hope a whole lot of other people are not injured either, but we don't know. This is Grecia Lastra reporting for You News. And for more on this latest mass shooting, let's go to Catherine Schweit. She's a former head of the FBI's active shooter program. Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today, unfortunately, under these circumstances. Bad circumstances, for sure. I think that probably right now people are just so worried, right? Absolutely. Now, officials have yet to determine a motive, but is this likely to be a workplace-related shooting? I think the odds are pretty darn high. I can tell you that I've researched this for a long time and, uh, and our research over the last 25 years shows that almost all of the instances where you have a kind of a closed facility, a packing facility or a shipping facility, a boxing facility, those instances, generally your shooter is an employee or a, an employee who was just fired, a disgruntled employee. So I think we'll see this um, more likely. It's a chance that it's workplace violence. Of course, we don't know yet and, they, and we will know eventually, but I think it's very likely that this person will be a, a shooter from inside, which kind of, I think, says the message of think about who you're working around and take care of people. You know, being kind is free and being aware of, of the stresses that people are under and what might bring them back to uh, to the facility. Um, this is exactly what we see in workplace violence situations.
This whole incident seemingly taking just two minutes to play out. What does that tell you about perhaps the type of weapon used or the timeline of events here? Well, unfortunately, you know, 70% of these instances occur in five minutes or less, and, and half of those are in two minutes or less. So this is pretty on par with what we see all the time with these types of situations. And there's no question, eight of the last uh, 10 uh, largest uh, killings in the United States have been in the last 10 years, and they've been here. They've been with uh, high-powered weapons, uh, semi-automatic weapons, where the shooter can get off so many rounds so quickly, and and really the people who are in the line of fire have uh, really have no defense. And so I will say this, you know, for these people, it appears we're killed inside, four outside. I think it's, uh, as you can imagine, the, the FedEx people are going to be evaluating and reevaluating, looking to experts to determine how they can do a better job to protect their uh, their own employees um, and, and how they can take care of employees if, in fact, this was a workplace violence incident. Um, but I think people need to be aware of the simple mantra, run, hide, fight, and they need to instill that into their head. Don't think it's a firecracker. Don't think it's a car backfiring. If you hear something, run. If you hear something, escape. That You cannot be killed if you're there. You cannot be killed unless you're there. You are a familiar face here. You were on our show less than a month ago discussing the Atlanta and Colorado mass shootings. What are your thoughts on the frequency of these incidents? They are so tragic. Is there a copycat effect happening here? You know, I think that uh, time will tell, right, as we do the research. But we do know there is a contagion effect. There is a copycat effect. When the media covers things, which is their job. So they have to cover it. They have to tell the public what's going on. But when there is coverage in the media, there is a contagion effect for, for probably a 13-day period. So, you know, when I started working on this years ago, we had one of these types of shootings about every eight weeks. And then, uh, you know, five years ago, it was one every four weeks. And then now it's one every two weeks. This year, it's probably going to be one every one week. That means there isn't really time to not cover it. And that copycat factor is really going to come into play. And probably it's going to continue for this calendar year. It's scary to just hear that. Now the mayor in Indianapolis says he supports expanded background checks. Do you think stricter gun safety measures are needed? Well, I think that, you know, I think it's, it's important to separate the two. Uh, the majority of gun deaths in the United States are uh, suicides. Two out of three suicides are, are handgun deaths. Two out of three deaths, homicides from handguns, which this was not a handgun. Two out of three deaths and are suicides. So background checks, which I heard the mayor talk about, uh, closing that loophole on, on sales. But also, uh, he also mentioned that he had signed a letter supporting um, making sure that there weren't any uh, loopholes for a back background check when what right now if you run a background check the fbi ran 40 million background checks on firearms last year the highest they've ever done and when they um if they can't get that done in three days the person gets the gun anyway and and the mayor and signed a letter with many other mayors saying we want that loophole closed too i think those things are very important because it is incremental to make a difference um, even though this particular instance was a, uh, a semi-automatic weapon, we believe, um, and, but we have, we have 20 million semi-automatic weapons in the United States. So uh, it, it's its own problem. Well, thank you so much for your time, Catherine Schweint, former head of the FBI's active shooter program. Take care.
Thank and you. now to another fatal shooting. This one, a fatal police shooting of a 13 year old boy in Chicago caught on camera. Body cam footage showing that boy, Adam Toledo, with his hands in the air when he was killed. Protests and outrage overnight. But first, we want to warn you that this video may be difficult to watch. Protesters taking to the streets of Chicago overnight outraged over the killing of 13 year old Adam Toledo by Chicago police. This right here is newly released police body cam video. It appears to show the teenaged boy with what police say is a gun in his right hand turning toward the officer. In less than a second, he's fatally shot a single bullet to the chest from the officer's gun. The incident happened on March 29th. Chicago police say officers were responding to a shots fired call on the city's west side when they say they came upon 13-year-old Adam Toledo and a 21-year-old man walking down an alley. The officer's body cam footage shows Toledo fleeing and the officer pursuing the teenager on foot, yelling at him to stop. Please stop! Stop right now! That voice is 34-year-old officer Eric Stillman. He later fires his weapon, footage showing Toledo with his hands up when he was killed. What happened next is still under investigation. I've seen no evidence whatsoever that Adam Toledo shot at the police. But police say the body cam video shows Toledo with a gun in his right hand as the officer once again yells for him to stop. Police later tweeted out this picture of a gun they say was recovered from the scene. And prosecutors say Toledo's right hand tested positive for gunshot residue. But the family's attorney insisting the boy's hands were empty as he raised them. Adam, during his last second of life, did not have a gun in his hand. The officer screamed at him, show me your hands. Adam complied, turned around. His hands were empty when he was shot in the chest. The officer immediately tried to render aid, but Toledo was unresponsive and bleeding from his chest. Meanwhile, the 21-year-old Toledo was with is now in custody. Officer Stillman has been placed on administrative duties while under investigation by Chicago's Civilian Office of Police Accountability. Protests for the most part last night were peaceful, but either way, many businesses in the downtown Chicago area have boarded up their windows as this incident is reigniting calls for police policy reform. Meanwhile, as controversy continues over another police shooting, this one in the Minneapolis metro area, former Brooklyn Center police officer Kimberly Potter made her initial appearance on manslaughter charges on Thursday. Potter, a veteran of the force, shot and killed 20-year-old Dante Wright during a traffic stop on Sunday. She has claimed she thought she was firing her taser instead of her Glock automatic pistol. Potter appeared remotely from her attorney's office during this hearing, which lasted less than five minutes. She has been released pending trial on a $100,000 bond. Her next hearing is set for May 17th. And for five nights in a row, protesters have gathered often with snow falling around them outside the police department in Brooklyn Center to chant the name Dante Wright. Wright's death resonated deeply in a state with still open wounds after the deaths of two other black men at the hands of police, Philando Castile in 2016 and George Floyd in 2020. Joining me now is Dr. Ray Sean Ray. He's a Brookings Institution Fellow and a sociology professor. Thank you so much for being with us today, Professor. Welcome to U News. Thank you for having me. 
What have the police killings of Dante Wright and Adam Toledo showed us about the state of policing here in the U.S.? Well, look, I think these incidents continue to show us that American policing is highly fractured. But this is nothing new. Even though these are the most recent incidents and the ones that we see on video, we know that there are tons of others like it. Look, in the United States, every year, over 1,000 people are killed by law enforcement. That's one every 20 hours. Black people are killed by police every 40 hours. And we know oftentimes that even when people are unarmed, that is suspected that they might have a weapon. And oftentimes what my research highlights is what I call when blackness becomes weaponized. There's a key stat that black people are 3.5 times more likely than whites to be killed by police when we're not attacking or have a weapon. And that is the crutch of what's happening in America and why people are protesting in the street. I would like for you to elaborate a little bit more on that. We saw Dante Wright and Adam Toledo's interaction with the police turning deadly. How different are the outcomes of police interactions with white people from those of people of color? Well, we have ample evidence showing that oftentimes when white people behave similar to black people or Latinos, we oftentimes know that the outcome is disparately different. And people have to understand why that is. Sociological research, social psychological research suggests that stereotypes play out differently for people of color versus white people. For black people and Latinos, oftentimes we're viewed as being criminally prone, as being um, emotionally unstable, as being more aggressive, as having superhuman strength. So even when we don't have a weapon, it's perceived that our physical bodies could cause harm. And we know that from dark tinted windows to things hanging from a person's rearview mirror, that these are used as justification for racial profiling. As a black man living in America that's grown up here, I can say that that's been my own experience uh, with police being pulled over for things that are quite trivial, nonviolent, um, non-felonous, but it hasn't necessarily stopped those particular things from happening. So people have to realize that there is a real difference in the level of justice and force used on people of color versus whites in America. Let's address some specific details in this case. In Adam Toledo's case, a gun was found on the scene, but he didn't have a gun at the moment of the shooting. How relevant is it whether he was armed or not when he turned around? It's huge. It's significant because what we see on that body cam footage is clear as day and we saw a light shining is that when Adam Toledo turned around, he did not have anything in his hands. And in fact, he held his hands up. Now, granted, he had ran and granted they found a gun at the scene. But at, at some point in time, Adam Toledo decided to stop, turn around and put his hands up. And that is the key point. The other thing we have to keep in mind is that he was 13 years old. And we have to put this in context of a city of Chicago where the officer who engaged in that action has had a series of misconduct and use of force uh, complaints against him. And the city of Chicago, even if this particular killing is ruled as quote unquote justifiable in the courts, it will not stop a large civil settlement from coming down, which taxpayers in, in Chicago will have to pay compared to police departments and police officers completely being let off the hook for these particular incidents financially due to a court doctrine called qualified immunity. Momentum over federal police reform grew last year, especially over the summer after George Floyd's death. What is the status of that reform? Has there been any progress? Yes, I think there's been a lot of progress at the federal level. The House of Representatives passed once again the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. 
This is the most transformative piece of legislation we've had on policing probably in American history. Not only does it remove qualified immunity, which I just spoke to, but it also addresses some other key things. Low-hanging fruit that liberals and conservatives agree on, such as body-worn cameras and oversight committees and, and having a use of force database. That's really important because the first time that the House of Representatives passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which was summer 2020, that legislation passed on what would have been Tamir Rice's 18th-year-old birthday. Tamir Rice uh, was the 12-year-old killed in Cleveland, Ohio. He would have been 18 last year. And so when we think about the incidents with Tamir Rice and, and Adam Toledo, it suggests that that reform is happening. But even at the state level and the local level, at the state level, such as in Maryland, they passed the Maryland Police Accountability Act. Um, it addresses the Law Enforcement Bill of Rights, which oftentimes helps qualified immunity to go unchecked and go on steroids, if you will. Also provides it where juveniles cannot be tried as adults. And some other important provisions, such as creating community oversight, board, uh, oversight boards at the local level to provide oversight and accountability in cities and counties. Well, still lots to be done. Thanks so much for your time, Rayshawn Ray, Brookings Institution Fellow. Thank you for having me. Meanwhile, in Washington, legislators are reacting to the latest speed in violence. Claudia Uceda has the latest from Washington, D.C. Claudia, hello, how are you? And can you tell us if there's been any reaction from the White House about mounting concerns over this police violence? Yes, Andrea, there is reaction. There is reaction, and there is a reaction about this another mass shooting and another deadly shooting that is causing a lot of anger. Also, here in Washington, D.C., moments ago, the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, said that the president has been brief about the shooting in Indianapolis and stressed that the administration is horrified by it. Just last week, the president enacted a series of executive orders to prevent gun violence. Jen Psaki call on Congress to take action as well. Let's listen. There's more we can do and must do. The Senate should take up and pass the three bills strengthening background checks that pass the House with bipartisan majorities and have the overwhelming support of the American people. They should heed the president's call to pass a ban on assault weapons and high capacity magazines and an immunity for gun manufacturers. Now, Vice President Kamala Harris also reacted to the shooting in Indianapolis, saying that the president will address the issue later on Friday. We have families in our country that are grieving the loss of their family members because of gun violence. There is no question that this violence must end. Now, in terms of the latest police shooting, Democratic lawmakers are not staying quiet about the death of 13-year-old Adam Toledo in Chicago. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer tweeted the following. Let's take a look. Adam Toledo was just 13 years old. He was a child. This is heartbreaking. He deserves justice. His family deserves justice. Also, Congressman Chuy Garcia from Illinois was very upset and released the following statement after watching the police body cam video. He said the video release speaks for itself. Adam was unarmed in his last second of life. He, like so many other Latino and black children confronted by police, he was not afforded the benefit of the doubt, and that is given to white suspects. Instead, Adam was robbed of his future. Schumer said that the Senate will act 
to prevent gun violence, but he didn't say when he's going to bring up legislation to the floor. Republicans don't support gun reform, and it will be another difficult battle here in Washington. Now, back to you. Thank you. Claudia Uceda reporting from Washington, D.C. And now to other news out of Washington, where billions of dollars will now be headed towards child care in the United States. Vice President Kamala Harris announced Thursday the release of $39 billion from the American Rescue Plan to help child care centers and family child care providers. Harris says COVID-19 has only accelerated the flaws in the United States child care system. The funds can be used to help facilities reopen or stay open as the pandemic continues. And another major story emerging from the White House, a Russian agent who received internal polling data from the Trump campaign in 2016 passed it along to Russia's intelligence services. Now, this is according to a new revelation from the Biden administration. The agent was a Russian-linked intelligence operative named Konstantin Kalimnik. Kalimnik's actions were part of Russia's interference in the 2016 and 2020 presidential elections. The news comes amid the Biden administration's slate of sanctions against Russian actors announced just yesterday. And both House Democrats and former President Trump want more time in a case related to Trump's financial records. They have asked a judge for 30 additional days to negotiate a subpoena to Deutsche Bank for the documents. In a joint report filed Thursday, lawyers for Trump, the House Committee on Financial Services and the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence petitioned the court for the time. They said they're still negotiating the scope of these subpoenas and the process for resolving concerns about privacy. The coronavirus surge in Michigan continues. 6,300 cases reported in that state on Thursday. As the White House doubles down on its vaccination efforts, a strategy centered on the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Rafael Rodriguez explains. More vaccine doses on the way. We are taking action to increase supply and increase capacity. That's the latest from the White House. And there's a goal to have enough from Pfizer and Moderna to double dose every adult in America by this summer. Johnson & Johnson still on pause with another CDC meeting on the safety of its vaccine set for April 23rd. But new cases are climbing in 22 states averaging more than 70,000 a day. Today, we're also learning more about breakthrough infections, people who get COVID-19 after being vaccinated. The CDC saying of the more than 78 million Americans fully vaccinated, there are 5,800 reported cases of breakthrough infections, 396 hospitalizations and 74 deaths. But health experts are stressing those numbers show such cases are, quote, very rare. Not as rare, variants, part of the reason behind a dangerous surge in Michigan. Which is just like a runaway train right now. Our emergency centers and our COVID units are filling up once again. The U.S. is making plans just in case the vaccines need a booster. But the shots do offer extremely effective protection already, and so the plea to vaccinate continues. We're going to see many waves uh, in many places, and we need to get those vaccines in arms. Rafael Rodriguez. You News. 
Speaking of booster shots, the CEO of Pfizer now saying that a third coronavirus dose will likely be needed in the next 12 months for those who have completed their course of that manufacturer's vaccine. And more conversation about vaccines. Researchers at Stanford Medicine and Cincinnati Children's Hospital say they have started testing the Pfizer vaccine on kids as young as two years old. Stanford Medicine says it's one of five sites across the U.S. taking part in a phase one trial of the Pfizer vaccine in kids younger than five. A group of 144 kids will get three doses of the vaccine. Meanwhile, Cincinnati Children's Hospital said the first dose was given to participants in a two to four year old age group last week. Currently, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is authorized for emergency use for people ages 16 and older in the United States. And as the spring semester nears its end, college students around the nation are getting ready for summer break. For many of them, getting back on campus this fall will mean getting vaccinated. And that's because at least 25 U.S. colleges and universities will require students to get COVID-19 vaccines before they return for the fall semester. Some of these schools are also mandating vaccines for campus faculty and staff. This includes Dartmouth, Cornell University, and Brown University. These are among the schools requiring student vaccines vaccinations for the fall semester. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. The Biden administration will keep the target of refugee admissions for this year at the historically low level set by the Trump administration, walking back an earlier pledge to welcome more than 60,000 refugees into the United States. In February, Biden promised an eightfold increase of refugee acceptance above the limit set by the Trump administration. And some migrant families are being flown a thousand miles across the U.S. only to be expelled back to Mexico. That's according to a Customs and Border Protection spokesperson. The practice involved more than 3,000 migrants who crossed the border into South Texas since March. A Mexican consulate says they've been put on flights to San Diego where they were sent back across the border. The legal justification for that was a Trump-era pandemic rule which allows for a swift return of migrants to Mexico. Mexican officials say those migrants were later moved to shelters in Tijuana, Mexico, across the border from San Diego. The flights are part of an effort to ease the bottleneck in the Rio Grande Valley, Texas, where a record number of migrants have been apprehended. Meanwhile, meanwhile, shocking new video from the California-Mexico border showing the desperate moment a coyote drops a child onto U.S. soil from on top of a high fence. Genesis Vieira explains what happened next. The video shows the moment a migrant smuggler drops a two-year-old baby girl from the height of 18 feet. A U.S. Border Patrol surveillance video recorded the moment as the coyote throws the child to her father, who is already in U.S. territory. The child and her father from Ghana are safe. A person climbs the wall, and then you see the smugglers drop a child of only two years of age. 
But this is not the only case that has been registered at the border fence between Mexico and the United States. There are multiple cases, such as the two young sisters from Ecuador who were thrown from the top of the fence and left alone to face their fate. We have seen in other instances that smugglers throw the miners over the secondary fence and abandon them. Activists say that parents of children who are exposed in this way are desperate and see it as the only alternative for their children to have a better future. They have to make a very hard decision, whether to send their children alone with all the risks that implies or if they have to enter as a family. Here in the chaparral camp in Tijuana, there are those who are on the verge of desperation and do not rule out at some point making the decision to send their children across the border alone. There are moments that make you want to do it and maybe try to do it by other means. For now, the fear is that many more cases like these will occur along the border and that in one of these attempts, a child will lose his or her life. Reported by Jorge Fregroso in San Diego, Genesis Vieira for U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.